Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for episode 50. How you doing, bud? I can't believe we've done 50 or this will be number 50. It's It feels like we just started doing this recently. Yeah, we, we started in last October, had a couple of weeks where we threw a couple out there. And here we are back again uh, doing Operation Mindcrime by request. I, I can't believe it's 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 been almost a year and that we've done 50 of these things. And uh, I guess we'll kind of let the cat out of the bag, if you will. We've got a special episode coming next week for episode 51. We'll call it the 50th anniversary, if you will. Uh, but we got, a, we got a special episode in store. So I don't think we'll reveal it. We'll just kind of like release it and go from there. And then we'll go back to our regularly scheduled format the following week, if that sounds good with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, before we get into uh, some Queensryche, a couple of, uh, well, actually a lot of stuff kind of was released this week or in the recent recent, uh, recent past that I think are worth bringing up. The first one uh, that I wanted to mention was uh, a band called Enemy Inside, a German band kind of in the vein of a uh, an Evanescence or Within Temptation released a new single called In My Blood. Uh, it features uh, some guys from Mystic Prophecy, the former bass player from Beyond the Bridge, Dominic Stotsum. Uh, really, really good stuff. This is from their second album, which is, uh, I believe, just recently came out, um, called Seven, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, really, really awesome band, and I'm, I'm excited for uh, people to hear this stuff if they hadn't heard haven't heard them. Yeah, this is uh, news to me, so I'm sure you'll pass it along as you always do. I definitely, definitely will. Uh, another another um, album that has just absolutely, positively blown me away, and I don't even think I've shared this with you yet, is a, is a band called Wandering in Eras, E-A, sorry, E-R-A-S, and the album is called The First Encounter. Uh, I am not typically a fan of instrumental stuff, uh, or I should say I don't gravitate towards it. This was one of the best progressive slash melodic death metal instrumental albums that I have ever heard. And the irony is I have like literally no information as to who this band is or where they're from. I tried finding their homepage, their social media. I have no idea. I literally, I, I've seen conflicting information that they're from the United States, possibly from Russia. I have no information, but this album blew me away and I want to purchase it and I cannot find uh, anything about these guys. So if anybody out there knows anything about Wandering in Eras, please let me know so I can buy this album and, and some merch because this album kicked ass and I just want uh, other people to hear it. So I'll definitely post a song from this as well. And um, I know that something that I have a feeling you're going to talk about. Finally, after much, much, much uh, anticipation, the new Beast in Black sing single was released. Yeah, I think I listened to it at least four times today. Yeah, I am so, so excited for this. This is a band that um, I've just come to absolutely fall in love with. And they released a new single called Blind and Frozen. And um, I, I don't want to say I had high expectations. Their last album was an album of the year for me. But this song is awesome. And if the rest of the album is this good, um, we are in for a real treat and a possible album of the year contender once again. Yeah, um... I uh, I enjoyed this. Um, I, what is, the name of the song is Moonlight Rendezvous. Yes, yeah, um, I apologize. I misspoke there. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't even realize they were dropping the single today, so that was a really pleasant surprise. And uh, it kind of matches um, their – a little bit of like their uh, mid-tempo style songs from their first two albums. Um, so it, it's actually – I thought it was a little bit longer than some of their other songs. And they uh, released a very, um, very cool music video to go along with this. And uh, speaking of album of the year contenders, um, the new night flight orchestra album, uh, Aromantic two came out today. And I think I had mentioned that it was coming out soon in a previous episode. Uh, I did have a chance to listen to the entire thing today and, you know, it's pretty much uh, exactly what you come to expect from, from these guys. Just, um, just this fantastic throwback style. Um, I, I, I just kept thinking, I recently watched um, Stranger Things for the first time. And um, that's like, the whole thing is such a like homage to the 80s. And uh, it just kind of made me think of how um, <laughs> Night Flight Orchestra would just be such like a perfect background kind of music for that show. Um, it's just, they do such a good job of kind of 
uh, also, I find there's like 70s style stuff in there too, but oh, it's like totally. a 70s and 80s kind of mix. Uh, it's It still blows my mind that this is the same guy who sings for Soil Work, but um, I'm looking forward to listening to this uh, a few more times and um, really just kind of uh, getting it, like, you know, really getting into it. And um, I think um, also Manimal came out with another single today um, from their upcoming Armageddon album called uh, Burn in Hell. Um, that was either today or yesterday, um, but that, that also was released. And, and Rhapsody of Fire has another single as well from their upcoming album, Glory for Salvation, and that one's called Magic Signs. So, um Busy, busy week. Like you said, there a lot, a lot, yeah, a lot. Busy week. Uh, it's funny. I, I have not yet listened to the Night Flight Orchestra. I love the band. Um, the singles were really, really interesting. I, white jeans really still pops for me as a video. Um, but at the same time, I, I've been just so consumed with our album for this week, um, which is ironic because I think I've played it more than any other album I've like in my life. I mean, I've, I've played this album so many times, but it was just a, a pleasure uh, to go back and listen to Operation Mindcrime. So I, I think without further ado, let's get into it. Um, it's the first Monday of the month, and obviously that means Request Monday. Uh, this one comes from us from our mutual friend and, and Prog Power patron, Todd Weimer. And uh, he had requested this a number of months ago, and we actually had multiple requests for this album. Uh, but this, I, I am so happy I'm so happy that he requested this album and that I didn't choose it because you're about to hear me gush for the next 45 minutes or an hour because of just how much I absolutely um, adore this album. And I, a little bit later, I'll get into some of the details as to not only why, but just how high it is on my my, my pantheon of, of albums. But I'm, I'm really thrilled that he picked this. Um, and, and when I talked to him earlier today, I asked him, are you sure you don't want us to do Mind Crime 2 as well? And he did pass on that, and I, I think with good reason, because I, I went back and I listened to that as well, and you know, even even Ronnie James Dio couldn't save that one. But this is uh, this this is going to be a fun one for me. And 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 as a fan of, of of the band and this album, what I'm really curious is for somebody like yourself, somebody who I think was probably familiar with much of this album, but probably not all of it as much as some of the other songs. What did you think going back and listening to the whole thing straight through, you know, multiple times? Um, I enjoyed this quite quite a bit. Um, I, the songs that I was very familiar with already were um, probably Needle Eyes, I Don't Believe in Love, and Eyes of a Stranger, which is probably the three most well-known songs on the album. Um, and then the rest of it, I kind of knew some songs better than others. Now I feel like I... I know all of the the songs really well and i mean the, every song is fantastic and and for the first time i actually went and um kind of did a little uh digging into like the storyline which i think really adds a whole nother layer to this whole uh this whole performance of the you know the, these songs so um but yeah this was um this was a lot of fun like um whereas like listening to candle mass last week all week was a little bit of a a little bit of a slog just because it's it's to me like very the songs are very similar and kind of mopey and whereas this was like i was tapping my foot and and really enjoying uh listening to this this is definitely more up my alley as far as like things that uh i enjoy listening to i completely understand and and what i'll say is this this is you know th this album is you know obviously a, a classic album it's released may 3rd 1988 um it is in the pantheon of of, of queens albums it's you know kind of towards the beginning of their career I, I guess we'll say um the warning comes out in 1984 two years later they come out with rage for order and obviously this is their third uh full-length effort um probably the one that kind of stamped them on the map and they would ha go on to tremendous success with Empire two years later before obviously, um, you know, kind of stepping back with Promised Land and some of the newer stuff. But this is like really at the height, beginning of the heights of their popularity. And I think that, um, you know, if you kind of look around the scene, if you will, at 1988, obviously Metallica is doing wonderful things and, and other bands are having success, but this is really the height of the hair metal stage. And Queensryche comes out with a concept album, which bands were not really doing at this time. This is 
uh, ages before scenes from a memory or a lot of the other prog bands that would begin to do this, but they didn't just come out with a concept album. They came out with a concept album that had just an awesome story to it. And, and, and it's a cohesive story leaves a little bit to the imagination, but I think that what really sealed the deal for me is that I got into the lyrics and, and that's the way I felt about it when I first heard it. And uh, I'll get into that momentarily, but you know, going back to, to this album, you know, all these years later, I think the lyrics really hold up very, very well today. Like surprisingly so, given a lot of what's going on in the, you know, the climate right now. Uh, fascinatingly so, just because it's like so on point, even though it's, you know, 20, 33 years later or, or, or what have you. Um, when did you first hear this band and, and, and some of the tracks that you mentioned? Um, well, I actually, there's a specific story. Um, I was... I feel, I think I was by myself and I was at the wall, um, which was the music CD store, um, in the shopping center close to where we grew up. And whoever was working that day had, I don't know if it was this album. It, it very likely was, but I mean, it was definitely Queensryche and I'd never heard Queensryche, at least to my knowledge up until that point. Um, so I had to ask the guy behind the, the desk. I was like, what are we listening to? Because I had already uh, started listening to metal at that point. So like, and it was surprising to hear a metal album playing at, at the wall because that pretty much never happened. And um, the guy was like, oh, this is Queensryche. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. And that's kind of what put them on my uh, radar. I mean, I had heard of the, heard of them, but I don't know that I ever heard anything by them. And, and so... Um, I think slowly, um, probably when I was in college, I started picking up on uh, certain songs, and, and um, I just I definitely remember listening to, and I think I, I owned the CD um, even at a certain point, but I don't know that the whole album ever really st- stuck with me until this week, like really listening to it and, and um, really getting to appreciate it uh, more than you know I ever have before. So. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the the background there. It was a college thing for me too. I, I remember Scenes from a Memory comes out in 1999 and we were obviously all over that. And and at the time, Dream Theater was like the be all and end all for me. And I was, I think it was my early days of college. Um, people just kept saying, you know, when, when they would talk about Scenes, they would talk about this album. And I said, oh, that's interesting. It had obviously come out, um, you know, over a decade before Scenes from a Memory. And I went to Tower Records and I picked it up. I said, if everybody's talking about this, there must be something here. And the second I turned it on, I was blown away. I mean, like absolutely positively blown away. And I think that as we get into the songs, I can tell you why. That intro I remember now is like the perfect hook in the sense that you have this intriguing story, a guy who's sitting in a hospital bed and quickly that heel turn from the, from the nurse who obviously, you know, is not obviously not treating the patients in the best way. And then right into Anarchy X when the music kicks in um, like that political rally and, and how he starts meeting Dr. X for the first time. And we'll, we'll get into it all, but those first two tracks, I was at the edge of my seat and then Revolution Calling sealed the deal because I think that it's like the perfect first song and, and I love the lyrics and everything. And before I get too deep into it, I'll just say I remember picking it up. I remember being hooked right away. And I was fortunate enough to see them back in 2005 when they actually played the entire thing live uh, at one of your favorite venues, the Beacon Theater. Uh, and, and I was just absolutely positively blown away by that set. And they kind of acted it out kind of like they did on the scenes from a memory DVD. Uh, I, I was just hooked. And, and it's funny because as much of a fan as I am of Queensryche, I don't think that they ever topped it. And I don't think that they really even got that close to it. And that's not an indictment on Rage for Order or Empire or any of that stuff. It's just that this album is leaps and bounds better than, well, pretty much anything I've ever heard in my entire life. So as good as those albums are, this was this was the pinnacle for me. Yeah. Wow. Um, so so you liked it. It was okay. It was not. It was. It was not bad. I just. I. I just. I remember the the chills that I got when I, when I first heard it, and uh, like I, I was really happy when we when we got the requests in, and, and 
Todd wrote a really nice kind of summary statement, if you will, on his thoughts on the album. We'll share those at the end because I think it really kind of puts a bow on a number of things that we will say for, you know, dur- during our discussion. But um, did it, did anything strike you from those first two, like, intro tracks, if you will, other than obviously this this story that's going to involve, uh, you know, a heroin addict who's in a hospital? Yeah, well, I mean, like, it all makes a lot more sense knowing the story now. I love the Anarchy X, um, just the 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 way that it builds up into like this, like it's, it almost reminds me of um, almost like a pro wrestlers, like entrance theme, you know, like it just wants, it gets you like pumped up for what's about to happen. Um, I think that's a really cool way to, to kind of start out. Um, I think I remember now really is just more of a, a getting, kicking the storyline out, you know, off. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's definitely a cool way to start things. And, and you know, delving into the story kind of made me realize that an album that we already discussed here, and he probably had a little bit of inspiration from the story, I think, with this, with, um, you know, this kind of, like, underbelly, like, you know, weird uh, government, like, secretive kind of thing. Like, not exactly the same, but, like, kind of, I, I imagine when they made it, they had this album in mind. Oh, absolutely. Be- and, and, and I'll, and I'll say it now. I think that there's, and I'll, I'll mention it later. There are elements of, of scenes from memory that are like all over this as well. Not in terms of the story, but just in terms of the structure and, and certain things on that album, which I think are really, really interesting. For those that don't know the story, I'll just give a little bit of a background. Uh, basically the, the protagonist here is this guy, Nikki. He's in a hospital. He has, really very little memory of what's going on about his past, but obviously he's in a hospital and then memories just start coming back and he's a heroin addict and he's uh, kind of frustrated politically and with a lot of different things that are going on in the society, you know, economically and uh, government corruption and all the hypocrisy that's around him. And that what's kind of forces him to join this like secret underground society. And I think that that basically brings us up to, um, basically like anarchy x which is like the the height of all this like uh all these things that are going wrong in society and and, and he's kind of just like remembering now all these things that are that are happening and, and that song has always just had some of the best lyrics to me um not only is it a great song but the the line um basically where he goes i guess warhol wasn't wrong thing 15 minutes long I mean, that was, that's, that's like just an old to Andy Warhol and, and obviously that everyone has their 15 minutes. And I just love that line and the rest of the lyrics in this particular song about all the screwed up things that are going on, um, on TV and in the media and all those things. And obviously that resonates with a lot of people today. I have a feeling that it's going to be kind of a timeless story for yeah. a long time. I mean, it is kind of interesting how, it, it does fit into so many different time periods, both before the album was released and after, uh, even up until now. Um, and like you said, like the fact that the lyrics still uh, resonate with you, I think is just kind of, kind of an interesting thing that like this, this storyline does have this timeless element to it. So um, I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree. And, and I'll just say like, w- in terms of, you know, and I think it would be remiss not to get into the band a little bit just because of uh, some of these iconic names that you're going to hear. Obviously, Jeff Tate, Tate doing lead vocals. Uh, he would be with the band up until about 2012 um, when uh, Todd LaTorre takes over. But Michael Wilton has been with the band since the beginning. He does a lot of the leads on this album. Scotty Rockenfeld, uh, you know, uh, famous drummer on, on drums and Eddie Jackson on bass. The key here, though, for me anyway, is is Chris DeGarmo's songwriting and guitar playing on this album is ridiculous. And I think that he, you know, a lot of people criticize that mid to late 90s Queensryche and some of the stuff that's happened since then. And it's, I don't think it's surprising that that's when Chris DeGarmo left the band. And I think that he is just an unheralded songwriter uh, and it just so um, iconic with some of his riffs and his solos. Uh, and he also plays keyboards on the album. He just um, very, very underappreciated. And I always kind of hoped that they would get back with him, but I think that those days are are, are long gone, unfortunately. But um, what a lineup on this album! And 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 what's interesting is they all had 
a little bit of hand in not only the songwriting, but the lyrics and everything else. It was really a group effort, although it was Jeff Tate's idea, from what I understand, um, kind of hearing about some of these underground movements that were going on in Canada at the time. And he just kind of used that as a springboard for writing this, this masterpiece. Yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you, I, you, you're, this is bringing out your eloquence. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't have much else to add after, after that. I mean, well, well put. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we get into Operation Mindcrime, which is really the second main track on this. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting. It's, it's, he uses that word mindcrime. I should say Dr. X uses the word mindcrime to kind of make Nikki do his bidding, uh, in all these political affairs that, that are taking place. And he basically has him as a hired gun. He wants him to go out and murder people that are not really part of his agenda. And, um, uh, another iconic song with Operation Mindcrime. I think that it's one of those songs that everyone, you know, kind of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an iconic tune, phenomenal bass playing throughout the entire song. Another, another highlight, obviously, and I, I'll be saying that a lot. Fantastic live song and a song that really helps push the story along because it kind of paints Dr. X as this manipulative, um, you know, son of a bitch that you, you kind of just want to know where this thing is going to go. This is probably one of my favorite songs of the ones that I wasn't as familiar with. Um, and it has, my, one of my favorite moments on the album is, is the beginning of the song where the phone rings and you hear the song start to play and then he hangs up the phone <laughs> and then the phone rings again and then the song starts playing again. And I just like picturing my head like, sorry, asshole, you're going to have to listen to the song whether you like it or not. And and I guess like in the storyline, it's just kind of like you're going to do my bidding whether you like it or not. And, exactly. and so I really... I really enjoyed the parallelism there, and I thought that was such a kind of clever way to start out the song. And I think that it makes that opening riff like all the more memorable. So uh, yeah, this is a really, a really good song. Um, uh, it, we're off to a good start because the first two full length songs are, are really, really strong. So I completely agree. And what, what I, what I, one of the things I want to point out is I had mentioned the bass in this particular song. Every instrument shines at various points on the album. But not in that like wankery type of way where like some of the modern prog just obviously they can play, but it's almost like playing just for the sake of playing. Everything, I feel like every note on this album was well placed and, and everything has a purpose and fits into the overall narrative. But you can see that they're all very, very accomplished at what they do. I never considered them a prog band, but I can kind of see why people lump them in that category because this is... You know, this is borderline rush territory in the way that this whole thing is kind of put together, just obviously with a heavier slant. So this is many consider it one of the first modern prog metal albums. And I am finally starting to see why, because the songs are a little bit straightforward, but the way that the instruments are used, definitely very proggy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would consider like the like overall Queensryche as a prog metal band, but this is definitely a prog metal album. That would be my my two cents on it. Um, yeah, definitely has those those kind of elements. And and like you said before, I, this is an album that ended up. I think it ins- inspired way more prog metal bands than it did any other genre. So I mean, yeah, for, and, and based on that, I can certainly understand why they lump it in. Um, and, and just moving, I guess, along with the narrative, you get to maybe the most iconic guitar intro on the album, and one of the best drum fills that kind of piggybacks off of it speak is a heavy tune it's a fast tune and it just has this amazing amazing intro uh i love this track and and it's funny i think at one point or another every one of these has been my quote-unquote favorite but um for a while it was speak just because uh it's just it's it's fast it drives the story, as I mentioned, and I think it's got some of the best lyrics uh, on the entire album here as well, which, again, I know it's something I've been saying a lot, but there's a line towards the end of this particular song, and, I, and I'll just read it just so people can hear it. He says, uh, the system we learn says we're equal under law, but the streets are reality. The weak and poor will fall. Let's tip the power balance and tear the, down the crown. Educate the masses. We'll burn the White House down. Obviously, very poignant in light of what what happened uh, earlier this year, but it's just uh, so powerful. And I thought that the lyrics there were just um, really talking about the disgust of, of 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 you know, I guess Nikki's dis- distrust of government, and obviously Doctor X, who's driving the narrative. Um, if you don't know what this is about at this point, I think Speak does a, Speak does a wonderful job of putting it all together. 
Yeah, I mean, well said. I, 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 this is another song I ended up enjoying a lot. Um, I really like the um, the chorus too. It's just like kind of slows it down a, a bit and, and has kind of like those deeper vocals. Um, I, I I like this song a lot. Um, it's it's short, but it's really powerful both in both musically and uh, lyrically um, and conceptually. So yeah, right. this is I like well this one a lot. Well said. Um, brings us to spreading the disease, which is obviously about this new character, a prostitute uh, named Sister Mary. What did you think about this one? Because this is not one of the ones that people usually talk about when they when they talk about this album. Um, I mean, I'm not going to tell you that I disliked any songs on this album. Just <laughs> spoiler alert. I mean, I like this one a lot. Um, I really like. I think the uh, the drumming is especially um, strong on this song. And um, again, like you know, every song does a, is plays an important part in continuing the story, but. Um, this is another song that I like quite a bit. And I, I also think that knowing being aware of the story definitely adds um, to the enjoyment of the song and knowing that you're meeting um, this, this new character and kind of a little bit of backstory about her and father William and, um, you know, and how she kind of got to where she is and where, you know, and where her relationship with, with father William comes into play. So um, just another really good song. I, I, I I mean, now we're, what, four for four on the full-length songs? I mean, it's no surprise, like, every song on this album is great, but um, this is just another one that I liked quite a bit. I, I mean, I really just, every time I got to, to turn this album on this week, it just was a, a real pleasure for me. I just really, really enjoyed it a lot. I don't know why this never really stuck with me in the past, and maybe it's just because I always would listen to like one random song instead of just sitting down and really like ingesting the album as a whole. But, um, you know, as I've said many times since we started this podcast, um, 50 years ago, um, <laughs> you know, it, I, it's, it's kind of a reeducation in a lot of ways for me. And this album is certainly one of those that fall into, it fall into that category. Yeah. I, I think that what, part of the brilliance here is the way that the songs seamlessly kind of fit in and flow into one another. And I guess that's what you're going to get when you get a concept album, right? I guess it's not too surprising, but I think that when you listen to songs, some of these songs in isolation, it great songs, even better as part of the whole, it's like really the, some of the parts here are, are, are really what does it. Um, so I, I kind of understand why you, the songs are good, but when you put it together, it's better. Um, what I will say is just one interesting anecdote about spreading the disease. There's this spoken word passage, which kind of, um, I guess, happens after this wonderful guitar solo. To me, it's very much a prelude to Empire, the song, which would be released two years later, insofar as it's kind of just like, again, this spoken word passage, which is like so iconic on the Empire track and kind of related in terms of like the war and everything else that's going on on that album. But it's just interesting because this this is kind of like the first time that they've done this, at least to my knowledge. Uh, but it's something that they would then come back to later on on other discs, even though they had nothing to do with this particular album. Um, we get to uh, one of my absolute favorite songs of all time, and that's The Mission. Um if there was a time for a change of pace, this would probably be it. And it starts with this really spooky intro of this preacher who's on TV. And then you hear a gunshot in the background. Um, I, what I would that make you think of another I, album we've talked it, about. We, right, right. Immediately think of the confession by eternity X, because I mean, like I remember when I first heard it, I was obviously very much into them at the time. And I just said to myself, I know what happens. It's, it's obviously the, the prelude to this like powerful song. Um, I, I think that this is not just one of the most underrated tracks on the album, but I think it's one of the most underrated tracks by any band. And I say that because nobody ever talks about it, but it is easily one of my favorite tracks of by all time. And what I think really helps it here is this ambient keyboard sound that's kind of throughout the whole thing. And Jeff Tate's phrasing as he's singing the verses not just the fact that he's obviously a great singer, that that goes without saying, but the way that he phrases the words, the way that he's like the, the, the kind of like the, the beat of the words 
second to none. And then he has like this vocal solo about midway through the song that literally just sends chills up my, my arm. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a passage out out of uh, what Todd said, um, which will cut down on the length of it when I have to read it later on. But um, this is the perfect timing for it because this was his uh, his choice for his song of the week, and he said. Um, Picking a favorite song from Operation Moncrime is really difficult for me as there are obviously so many strong songs to choose from, but I always go back to one that's probably a bit of a surprise, The Mission. Let me tell you why. It's the whole mood and, and ambience at the beginning of the song. Having just been amped up from the high tempo of spreading the disease, we were abruptly downshifted to the sound of Nikki flipping the channel on TV from the news to a religious program to the Bless Me Father for I Have Sinned and su- subsequent sudden gunshot that leads into the acoustic guitar it's just perfection in storytelling. Aside, the anchor reading the news was the local NBC nightly news anchor in Dallas at the time, Mike Snyder, and I was super impressed that they <laughs> chose to use my city's news anchor out of all the possible anchors in the country. So kind of a, a cool little uh, cool little uh, anecdote from Todd. And he also said, um, the other thing that makes me love the song so much is Jeff Tate's vocal right before the, the guitar solo uh, between three minutes and five seconds and three minutes and 22 seconds where he sings my mission changed the world. It, it turned my life around. <laughs> um, I didn't do it justice there, but uh, it, it's that uh, little run he does on the word life that showcased his talent as a vocalist for me. In all my years of seeing the band live, however, Jeff only did that run once. He usually bailed out of it, leaving me unfulfilled. However, fate intervened, and I traveled last minute on a Saturday to, to see them in Houston with a buddy because I had a, a business trip queued up that was going to prevent me from seeing the Dallas show on Sunday night. When Jeff hit that run for the first time ever, I lost my shit. My buddy had no idea why I was freaking out. I went on to explain my years of frustration that I had finally reached its climax. So, um, great another, story. Another, another fan of the song, I think. Yeah, I think he likes it. Yeah, it's it's um what well said, Todd, and and I have to say I agree with every word of that except for maybe the Dallas news anchor because that was news to me. So thank you. Um, it's it's just uh, it, it is a song that um, <laughs> what can I say? I, I'm glad it's his song of the week. I totally understand that. Uh, it might be mine. I haven't chosen one yet. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to. So I may take a pass this week. I'm not sure, but we'll I know we'll, that feeling. Yeah, it's it's we'll we'll see what happens. A lot of people think that this is um, that the next track, "Sweet Sister Mary," is kind of the end of the first act. To me, the mission is the end of the first act, and "Sweet Sister Mary" is kind of the start of the second act. Um, and if you bought the cassette of this when it came out. That's actually how I think they had it where the Sweet Sister Mary kicked off side two. Regardless, this is um, one of the most epic Queensryche tracks of all time. Uh, It's not only by far the longest song on the album, clocking in at uh, over 10 minutes long, over uh, 10 minutes and 41 seconds to be exact. This is really where I think the story turns in the sense that uh, Dr. X wants Nikki to kill Mary uh, because of her, I don't know, guess, I guess we'll say just distrust of, of, of the overall uh, mission here. And Nikki does not want to do it because he is falling in love with this woman and really just wants to get her out of, of, of harm's way. Um, will that happen? We'll get to there. But it's this is, I, I would say, the, 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 the epic on the track, uh, on, on the album. 
And it kind of reminds me of Home on Scenes from a Memory, which is this epic track in the middle, which is kind of taking the story in a very different direction. So again, all the credit in the world to Dream Theater on one of my favorite albums, but I think that they just completely took Sweet Sister Mary and changed it into Home. Have you ever heard a more sinister beginning of a song or like a window just rolls down and it's just like, kill her. Yeah. <laughs> All right. but, it's per- but it's perfect because you, when you think of this madman, Dr. X uh, or agent X as, as we, as we know, but when you think of Dr. X, it's, it's, I mean, it's just, he gives the order and he wants it done. No questions asked. And, and Nikki, I think is having real second thoughts at this point. Um, it is, it is sinister. And I just view him in the back of a limousine rolling down the window and rolling it right back up after he gives the order. Yeah. Um, I, uh, what was I going to say? Um, I, I, first of all, like, I love the, this was a song that always kind of bypassed me just because of my impatience with longer songs. Um, and, and I, I chastise myself for feeling that way. Cause it's such a, like you said, it's such an epic song. It just, and, and again, knowing the, the story, um, really kind of makes it even more impactful. And um, uh, we have um, some guest vocals here as well from the very talented uh, Pamela Moore, um, who um, did she, did she rejoin um, the band to do mind crime too? I want to say that she did. She did. She did. And, And it's funny because when I mentioned that show earlier from 2005, she joined them on stage and, and played the, the, um, Sister Mary role, which was just awesome. And for some reason during that show, they just acted everything out and it was just like a very theatrical, almost Broadway-esque presentation of the album. Um, and it's a show I'll never forget. I actually got a VHS cassette of that show and, um, I really should make a point of putting that on a, on, on disc and maybe I can upload it for everyone. Um, if I can find it, uh, somewhere in the attic, it's, it's just a really, really great performance. And I just, uh, it's something that'll stick with me because I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of my favorite albums live in their entirety. This one I've seen twice. Uh, I'll get to the second show in a little bit, but it's, uh, the first one definitely resonates with me a lot just because it was a phenomenal performance. Yeah. And anytime, you get a, a guest from an album to actually perform live. I mean, I think of seeing DC Cooper sing with shadow gallery or, or, or anything like that. I think it just really makes it an extra special performance and, and just super memorable. Um, so, you know, if, it, if I was there and I saw uh, Pamela Moore come out to sing her part as, as sister Mary, I would be pretty amped about that. Yeah. She, she does a phenomenal job and, and, and- her vocal performance commingled with Jeff Tate's obviously performance on this album, it's seamless. And, and they did just such a nice job of the, uh, the way that the, the, they kind of feed off each other and you can kind of almost visualize them having this, I guess, singing to one another on, you know, near each other. It's just, it's just done seamlessly. And there's, I think there's a reason why a lot of people consider this one of the best prog songs of all time. And with, with good reason, it's just a phenomenal track I myself, I don't think paid it as much mind when I first heard the album, but it quickly grew on me and became just another one of my favorites. Yep, I, I can under, completely understand why. Very, just very epic, epic storytelling, epic songwriting, just great, great tune. And then we get to uh, a real pick-me-up tune, uh, a shorter track a faster track, The Needle Lies. And it's a track that's been covered by a lot of bands um, through the years. Ironically enough, most notably to me by Vision Divine, who's a power metal band out of Italy, uh, never thinking that they would kind of cover an American prog band, but they do a great job. Um, This for a long time was my favorite track as well, just because I thought it kind of provided a nice contrast to the epic track before it. But um, another epic track, and again, very, very poignant given given where we are in, in America today. Um, this uh, this song takes me back to, um, you. It was probably you, could it, but my, maybe not. But somebody sent me a a band called Zandel covering this song, and I yeah yeah I very much remember that version. And maybe it's possible I heard that version before I heard the Queensrÿche version. Um, this has always been one of my all time favorite songs, and um, I, I it's going to be my song of the week. I just it's still just it's just like 
it's just such a rocking, awesome, fast paced. It's, you know, my, what I like, and this is what I like, like yeah. just, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting song. I think it kind of takes on a different connotation nowadays, a, a song about the needle eyes. It's uh, it's just a. I, I'd love to hear this song live. Um, I don't even think I've ever even seen anyone cover it. But um, yeah, just a you know great guitar solos, um, uh, like fantastic uh, singing from Jeff Tate. Um, just this is like if you if you like your metal speedy and and, and aggressive, this is uh, this is the song for you. Yeah, and this is the point in the story where things somehow manage to get even darker. Doctor Rex basically tells Nikki, I'm the one that can give you your heroin fix. And if you basically kind of like decide not to go through with my orders, you're not getting it. And and I think that that's when he and Mary really decide to kind of leave the organization together. Uh, and and it's just um, unfortunately a little bit too little, a little too late because he's going to only return to find her dead. And and for a lot of people, they didn't understand exactly how or why she died when, when they were listening to this uh, album. But it turns out that if you watch the Operation Live Crime DVD or Blu-ray, uh, it was by suicide. Mary killed herself basically to save Nikki. And that's kind of how the story goes um, from there. Uh, ironically, not my favorite live performance of, of the, uh, of the, of the album. I thought that there were, I thought it could have been better, but nonetheless, it does kind of fill up that plot hole. So um, I'd be remiss not to mention that we then kind of find ourselves um, into this electric requiem, which is more of like a, you know, a, I guess we just call it like a, a, a short track that advances the story. Yes, like a, a segue. Yeah, with a with a phenomenal drum fill at the end, which leads into another underrated track, probably the second most underrated track on the album, and that's Breaking the Silence. Yeah, I, I love how this song just kicks in. Um, it's it's cool. Like, I like that Electric Requiem is kind of like this um, kind of like a, a slower pace, kind of almost creepier like segue and then it just kind of cuts into like that that guitar uh that guitar riff just kicks right in and gets gets things going again um back on track as far as like the 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 tempo of the album and yeah i agree with you i i i think this is another really excellent song um I, I I laughed when he mentioned the Black Mask of Fear because it reminded me of Vision Divine, who you had mentioned just uh, just a little bit ago, as they have a song from their first album called Black Mask of Fear, which one might have to guess may have came from this uh, this album is just inspiring everyone left and right, I guess. But um, just a, yeah, another uh, another great song uh, carrying on the the story, and um, I guess like this is the beginning of, of um, you know, Nikki's like suffering and plight that, you know, his, the girl that he loves is gone. And, and I think um, based on what I was reading is that he's not even sure whether he doesn't know if he's the one who killed her because he, he's so in and out of, of consciousness or, uh, and his memory is always, is always rattled that he has no idea if he's the one who killed her or not. And, you know, I was going to ask you if you had any idea as to why, they left that kind of open ended initially and why that wasn't clearly explained. Cause, cause it, it, you know, listening to the album without knowing any better, I, I would say it doesn't really, it doesn't really explain it unless you, yeah, I, 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 I read just, the same thing that you were explaining on Wikipedia. And that's the only reason I, I was aware of that part of the story. 
I, I think it's one of those things where they kind of tie up all the loose ends for the most part, but they just wanted to leave something to the, to the listener's imagination. I mean, you could, you could make arguments that it's Dr. X or one of the other minions that, that kill her, that she kills herself, that it's Nikki. It's kind of one of those things where we just don't know. And I think that not that it necessarily matters, but it kind of, you know, you can draw your own conclusion. At least that's my takeaway from it. Um, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a good question. I, I don't really know why they left it open ended, but they certainly closed it, um, with the live, with the live performance. I will say this. I think it's a perfect example of what Chris DeGarmo brought to the band as a songwriter. This is the stuff that they just didn't really write after he left the band. And as good as they are live and as good as they, as many good songs as they have had since this album, uh, they just, this is like, again, one of those Chris DeGarmo classics that he just, he was the man, and and, and I'm, I think he'll be sorely missed. And I, I just, again, I hope for the reunion tour at some point, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and, and but what it does is it leads us into "I Don't Believe in Love," which is the first track that I had heard by the band. Um, and I just, uh, you could see that there was something special here. It's 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 such a fun song in the sense that like. Not, obviously not a funny song but it's just a fun song and it's it's a song that like still to this day holds up so so well of all things it actually reminds me of a Vandenplas song and that's a band we haven't even talked about on this on this podcast Vandenplas on a uh on an album called Far Off Grace which I got with you when we were in Disney World back in 2000 they they wrote a ballad called I Don't Miss You and it's kind of the spookiest dark ballad that you've ever heard but it's kind of the same thing going on here not in terms of the song but just in terms of the lyrics where it's like this really dark brooding song about how he just does not believe in love after the love of his life was taken away in some way shape or form this is another one of those songs where again i think i heard random covers of it before i heard the original i have versions of it from circle nine and silent shadows um some real big heavy hitters in the metal world, but um, <laughs> it, it's this song. I mean, this really reminds me a lot of college because I remember um, specifically using the music video, uh, making um, one of our Power Hour uh, videos. So um, it was. I remember the quality was terrible. Like it must have come off of somebody's like VHS transfer or something. But it was just your typical late 80s like heavy metal music video that looked like it was filmed in a warehouse in, in new jersey somewhere but um <laughs> uh yeah this is a, definitely a memorable song i imagine that even if if you're not familiar with the album on a whole you probably know this song i think it's probably the most iconic song off the album um eyes of a stranger was probably the biggest hit off the album but i think that at this point that this is the song that has at least for many kind of held up the most and the one that you often hear live, etc. Um, the next track waiting for 22 is a kind of a short instrumental track. It goes into another short track called my empty room, which to me is really just the intro to the, the, the last track eyes of a stranger. Um, the one thing about a my empty room, going back to the scenes from a memory parallel, you got that clock again, which is kind of how scenes from a memory kicks off again. Maybe I'm reading into it much, but I, I just see that parallel that seems to be there throughout. I, I, I just wanted to jump right back to I don't believe in love real quick. Oh, just sure, because, absolutely. Um, I just I, I want what, what I wanted to say that I think that the reason that the song I think was a, was a hit was also because that I think that it could exist on its own without the rest of the album because I think if you take the the chorus you don't really need to know the story to kind of appreciate lyrics like um, you know. Uh, I guess I never, oh, she said she loved me. I guess I never knew, but do we ever, ever really know? She said she'd meet me on the other side, but I knew right then I'd never find her. Like it, 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 it could be just a, any old like love song. It doesn't necessarily have to be specific to the story. So I think that in that way, um, it, it's kind of this, this, you know, song about having a broken heart that doesn't necessarily have, I mean, it fits into the story perfectly, but it also can stand on its own. And I think that that is part of the reason why it was probably well received because it didn't feel like it was this, this, you know, outlying song that came off of some sort of grand, you know, long, you know, there's probably a million rock opera type albums where you could think of like, if you pulled a song out of it on its own, it doesn't really make a lot of sense by itself. So, um, 
yeah, I just thought this was a good choice for a single because I think that it, it doesn't require any knowledge of the story to, to really enjoy the, the lyrical content of it. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I, I kind of glossed over that myself. But you're absolutely right. This is almost an outlier in that sense because I don't think you can say that about any other track on the album. But this track really not in terms of style, but just in terms of the, the lyrics and everything else kind of was a, along with the Bon Jovi's and the warrants and the, the wingers and all the stuff that was kind of popular at this point, just in terms of the lyrical content and like the lost love and stuff like that. It's right there with the rest of them. And I think that that's why they got some uh, mileage on MTV with this, because this is what the other bands were doing. It's just that this sounded different and happened to be part of this much bigger story. Yeah, and, and I mean, I always was able to listen to it in and of itself. I don't think I will anymore. I mean, now I think whenever I listen to it, I'm going to think about this guy who, you know, lost the love <laughs> of his life more in a more specific way sure, based sure. on the, the way that the story goes. Um, but uh won't take away from any of the enjoyment of the, of the song, that's for sure. Yeah, and I completely agree. Uh, and just before we get to Eyes of a Stranger, as we kind of put a bow on the story, uh, you know, Mary's dead. Uh, Nikki is really losing it. They find the police ultimately arrive, uh, at his place as he kind of succumbs to the insanity. They find a gun on him. They think he is, uh, they take him into custody as they think they probably is the one that actually killed Mary and they confine him to an institution, which is where he finds himself just like he did at the beginning, uh, at the end. And it kind of comes full circle where to make a long story short, Dr. X gets away with the whole thing. Not that he killed Mary, but that he basically caused Mary to kill himself, or kill herself. And this guy is, you know, kind of back in, back in the institution and his memory starts to slowly come back. Eyes of a Stranger is the perfect song to close the album because it really does kind of bring in pieces of the entire album, much like Finally Free on Scenes from a Memory, which kind of brings in other pieces of Scenes from a Memory. Um, Again, I think the influence is, is really strong there, and I'd be shocked if, if, if Portnoy and Petrucci weren't like huge fans of this album because I see I see the connections. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure anybody who recorded a metal album in the '90s had to be a big fan of this album. It's a, it probably came with their studio time. You, there's a <laughs> copy of it just sitting on the soundboard. Like before you do anything, you have listen to listen to, to Operation Mindcrime. What do you think of Eyes of a Stranger? Um, this is again, like one of the songs I knew probably cause it was on like every Queens, right? Greatest hits album. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a, it's a good song. It's a good way to kind of wrap things up. Um, it's, uh, it's not one of my, it's probably towards the bottom of, of my favorite songs on the album in all honesty. Um, but I mean, that's the bottom of this album is higher than the top of a lot of <laughs> other <laughs> albums out there. So, um, yeah, just, uh, really just, uh, start to finish just 15 tracks of, of just pure, like prog metal joy. And for an album that came out in 1988, I mean, it really, I think it really holds up, um, you know, storyline wise and, and musically and, and everything. It just, uh, it's, it's still, it's still a classic. And I don't think that other than the production, which I don't think is, is phenomenal. Um, I think it's, it's, it holds up like, like a brand new album today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I, what's interesting to me is, uh, I don't think it sounds bad. I don't think it's perfect. I, I, I think that they did kind of remaster it, uh, in the two thousands. I didn't notice that much of a difference. I think that you could only get so much better unless the entire thing was remixed. I don't know that that was necessary though. Um, what was interesting to me, though, is that, as I said, in 1990, the band would release Empire, which was their most commercially successful album. But when they went out on tour and they were touring stadiums for Empire, they did a, their first set had a lot of the Empire tracks and some of the older stuff. But the second set from that tour, they played all of Mindcrime. So even on this big, massive tour for this massively successful Empire album, they played this entire thing. So I think that they may even have thought that this was kind of their magnum opus that, uh, that they would play, you know, 50 minutes of a second set with, with by playing this album, which I always thought was cool. And you can't go to a Queensryche show even today with Todd Latore singing, uh, without hearing at least some of these tracks. And, uh, for those that haven't seen them, they are a really good live band. And I'll just give one more anecdote. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to see Jeff Tate do a solo show, uh, which, I, I, I had reservations. I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to 
kind of still bring it live, but he, they had announced that they were doing all of mine crime. So I definitely wanted to see it. And uh, he was phenomenal. And I, somehow he's still able to hit a lot of those notes that quite frankly, I don't think I would ever be able to hit my wildest dreams. So uh, more power to him. I was with a buddy of mine and he said to me even earlier today when I told him that I was doing this recording, he said that to me, having seen hundreds and hundreds of shows was one of the top five shows I've ever seen. And that was just a Jeff Tate solo show playing this album. So you can imagine uh, from again, that's somebody else's opinion. He said that that was just a top five show for him. So uh, I was very lucky to see this twice and I'm, I'm very happy with that. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for, seeing the original vocalists sing, you know, I think of like, you know, when we saw John Oliva sing Streets or Zach Stevens sing Wake Magellan, even though they weren't doing it with the the original Sabotage band, it was still just an amazing thing to see the the original singer sing an entire album that is such a, a classic album, you know, and an important part of your, your musical upbringing. So I can completely understand the, the joy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to rate the album in a second. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. I have to pick a song of the week and I have to be honest with you. I've never struggled so much. Uh, as I've said, every one of these songs has probably been my favorite at one point or another. Earlier today, I had it narrowed down to two. I had it narrowed down to Eyes of a Stranger because I thought it was just a perfect way to end this entire thing. And I had it narrowed down to The Mission as well. And Todd kind of stole my thunder <laughs> when he selected it. But I'm going to go with it as well because, you know, I think a lot of people have heard Eyes of a Stranger. But if you haven't heard The Mission in the context of this whole thing, you're doing yourself a disservice. So I'm actually going to agree with him and say that it's probably my favorite track on the album today. Ask me tomorrow. It'll probably be something different. But uh, all week, I just really enjoyed going back to, obviously, the album, but that track in particular. Uh, you can't go wrong with any of them, in all honesty. But I, I Todd's uh, Todd's words definitely um, would sway a person who, you know, was having a hard time making a decision. So Before we, uh, before we kind of put a bow on this with his own words, because he, he did say some other things that I think are definitely worth mentioning – Scale of 1 to 10, what are you rating this album? Um, I'm going to give it a 9.25. Um, it's, I, I think it's going to be one of those things where um, as time goes on, it'll probably become more of a classic for me. But since it, a lot of it is kind of like, on a whole, it's kind of like brand new to me. Um, so it's the only reason why I don't give it like a 9.5 or a 9.75 or even a 10. But I mean, it, it's even just for knowing it for just a few days from start to finish, it's that good that I would have to give it that high of a rating, just yeah, uh, a, a class, a true classic. That What's impressive to me is a lot of the albums that you've rated that high were albums that you've known and kind of loved for years. So I think that's really a testament to the strength of the album. Uh, it's probably the highest rating you've given an album that you didn't know from beginning to end. So that's, that's, that's high. Uh, for me, I would give it a 15 if I could. I'll give it a 10. Uh, if you don't realize by now, I absolutely adore this album. If I was on a desert island and I had to bring a couple of discs with me, this would definitely be one of them. And I think that there are times where I would say to myself, it's actually my favorite album of all time, or at least my favorite metal album of all time. Uh, and, and if it's not number one, it's in the top three. That's that's how uh, high I, I hold this album. And I'm just so happy that Todd selected it because I didn't have to gush over it because I chose it. So <laughs> thank you, Todd. Um, and I guess with that, let's put a bow on it. Why don't you uh, read the rest of what Todd wrote? Because I think it is really on point. Sure. Um, I, I don't have any water, so I might get a little raspy, but, um, uh, you know, Todd, uh, here goes. Uh, uh, this was the first album I ever pre-ordered. I was already a huge fan of the band since I discovered them with the EP, and they had continually demonstrated evolving greatness with their subsequent releases, The Warning and Rage for Order, respectively. This was the year 1988, and back in those days, there were no album leaks or anything to spoil the magic of getting an album on release day. The single for Eyes of a Stranger had been out for a few weeks with a video on Headbangers Ball on MTV. But other than that, I knew nothing of what was coming on the album. Expectations were very high. I went to the record store an hour before it turned midnight on May 3rd. Stores did midnight record release parties back then, go figure. And I snagged my copy as soon as I possibly could. 
Interesting anecdote. Poisons open up and say, ah, and Living Color is Vivid also released that night. I spent the next 59 minutes and 14 seconds immersed with the album in my ears and the lyrics from the liar notes in my hands. And after that, it, uh, after that, I did it all again once more before sleep. Anyway, needless to say, I was blown away. From the opening audio of Dr. Davis, telephone please, Dr. Davis, telephone please, through the final I remember now, I knew that I had just experienced the creative genius slash brilliance of these five guys from Bellevue, Washington, who I looked up to as gods. I knew that this was going to be something I listened to for the rest of my life. Um, this is the part he we read already. Um, and then we pick it up with, okay, start to finish. This is the perfect album for me. It was my uh, first real exposure to a concept album, and it was done by my favorite band. I was 100% sold on the story that they told. There were rumors of Jeff writing a screenplay and it possibly coming to the silver screen or even Broadway, but that sadly never came to fruition. This album is easily a desert island disc for me. It might even be at the top of the list if I could only take one before my ship sinks. So he he clearly feels... uh, uh, similar to you do about this album. Um, this is a, an important album for you and him and, and, and uh, a whole hell of a lot of other people. Yeah, that well said. I'm going to um, conclude there, I guess, because I don't think I could have said it any better myself. So thank you for, uh, thank you for the recommendation. Everyone else, keep them coming. They've, they've been coming in and we keep track of them and we look forward to getting to all of them uh, in time. Uh, and uh, like I said, next week, Something a little special. I think we'll, uh, a lot of people will enjoy. And then the following week, Chris will come back with another one of his, uh, his selections. But before we let you go, just a couple of news items that I think were newsworthy. Uh, number one, Sebastian Bach of Skid Row basically is kind of, kind of clamoring for a reunion. And this is not the first place that I've heard it, not only from Sebastian, but from other, uh, sources as well. So that would be kind of cool to see. I, I was definitely uh, a fan of that second Skid Row album. And I kind of would like to see this, even though I know it's a little bit dated at this point. It's actually an album I would love to do with you just because there's so many kind of classic tunes on there and it's a real heavy hitter. Uh, and if you've never heard it, it's definitely worth hearing. But uh, so a Skid Row reunion would be nice. And uh, as one band kind of gets back together, another one is about to play their last show. Um, UFO, the classic, you know, kind of hard rock band that's been doing it for like five decades at this point has announced their last ever concert in October of 2022. So uh, I've never seen them live. I've kind of just never really been a huge fan of the band. But every time I hear them, I'm always impressed by what I, what I hear. Um, and I kind of should check out their stuff before uh, before they hang it up. Yeah, I'm just definitely one of those bands that I do not know much about. And Skid Row, too, I don't really know much beyond the uh, the real you know classics that were played on MTV in the eighties and, and whatnot. So um, I actually came across the two items that I thought were interesting. I mean, one of them is just a tour announcement um, after missing their first show or their first tour in 20 years last year, uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra is going to be back on the road this year. Um, you know, God willing, everything kind of stays uh, the way it's been lately and cause they have a, a huge tour planned at their usual East coast, West coast thing. And if you haven't seen them and you're a fan of hard rock and Christmas music, then, well, I mean, I can't even, I wouldn't be able to believe you if you told me <laughs> that you've never seen them and you were a fan of Christmas music and hard rock, but this is uh, without, I've seen them, I think 12 or 13 times. And just, it's just one of the best live performances that, you could see. Um, so I, I give that my highest recommendation. Something else I found out about, and tell me if you knew about any of this, because this came as a big surprise to me, but did you know that Tuomas Holopainen from Nightwish has a black metal project? No, I've <laughs> never, I, I've never, never mind heard the project. I didn't know that that was a thing. What's the name of that band? You can t- teach okay. me so I can go listen to it. Well, this is news to me too. So um, the, it's a project called Dark Woods, My Betrothed. And apparently um, they, this is like, they're coming out with this album, but it's not their first album. They were, they came out with an album 23 years ago. Um, oh, that's wild. And, I never and, heard this. And Thomas was in in the band um, in 1993. Um, it's uh, Kai Hato, who's um, the current Nightwish drummer, and also from uh, he was also from Winter Sun, is going to be the the session drummer. But I mean, the, <laughs> this 
this has me very, very curious because I mean, you know me, I'm not the biggest uh, black metal fan in the world, but but some with biggest, Tuanus like, being that's in, an overstatement, I think. But <laughs> yeah, maybe the smallest. Yeah, but with Tuanus involved, uh, it definitely is going to uh, pique my interest. So, um, and it looks like. Uh, they posted Blattermouth posted a track. I don't know if this is from the old album or from the new album. I'll have to check it out. But um, I just thought that was a really interesting thing that really grabbed my attention when I saw it. So um, it, when it comes out, I'm sure we will be uh, mentioning uh, it, at, at the very least in 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 passing. On the, I on the podcast. Uh, I was going to listen to Night Flight Orchestra when we got off this thing, but I am definitely listening to this first because uh, curiosity has. Uh, definitely peaked for me. I, I had no idea. So this will be a real interesting surprise. So thank you. Uh, and with that, I guess no better time to wrap it up. And we'll obviously come back next week with a little surprise as we mentioned. Keep the reviews coming. We love the engagement. We've gotten a ton of messages from you guys, uh, often in private. So um, keep them coming. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. And if you haven't subscribed to our social medias, we have an Instagram, we have a Facebook account, we have a Twitter feed. We post stuff regularly throughout the week. So uh Definitely check that out. Uh, it's a good source for some of the stuff that we're listening to and some of the stuff that's coming out or newly released that we, we think you might be interested in. So definitely subscribe to that. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with uh, something a little special. Take it easy, bud. Thanks for doing this with me. It was a real treat. Yeah, this was uh, this was a blast. Uh, Todd, thank you for your contributions as well. And, um, and uh, yeah, and just uh, keep those requests coming. Um, I know we definitely have some things planned for the next couple of months, but um, there's always room for more, so uh, keep them coming. So, uh, yeah. Be well. Take it easy, bud. I'll talk to you soon. Right. Take care.